Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on The Town, the new Ben Affleck crime drama. With me in the studio is John Swansburg. Hello, John. Good to be here. And um, yes, this is you were born for this spoiler special because <laughs> you are from Boston, born and bred, right? Yes. Well, I should say for uh, people who are actually from Boston, uh, people like to say they're from Boston. They usually mean they're from the greater Boston area. And I grew up uh, on the North Shore. But uh, I did live for two years in Boston proper, as they say in Boston, in uh, Charlestown, which is where this movie takes place. I guess what we most need to know is that, um, is that Ben Affleck, who directed, co-wrote, and stars in the movie – plays Doug McRae, who is a the offspring, the son of a, a legendary bank robber who's on his way to becoming a legendary bank robber, an armored truck holdup robber himself. Right. After after failing in his attempt to be a professional hockey player. Right. And apparently he like had the talent, but he sort of pissed away his chances on drugs and uh, by just being a bellicose fighting guy. Right. Um, and so at the beginning of the movie, he's he's long past this the, the, the hockey career and right. is, is is building his bank robbery <laughs> career. And he's the head of this gang, um, the only member of which we really need to know about for our purposes. Although I do want to talk about the character Glonzy, so I can say the name as often as possible. <laughs> I love Glonzy. <laughs> there's, a, there's a fat guy named Glonzy who can hotwire cars very well, who's, yep. who's sort of minor. Um, but the, the, the major other gang member is played by Jeremy Renner. His name is Jim, the character Jim, name. Jim, yeah. And, uh, and Jim is sort of the... There's there's a character like him in almost every gang movie, right? He's right. the hothead guy who at any moment could go off, right? The one who enjoys the violence just a little bit too much. Right, and indeed in the first bank uh, heist that we see, which is basically the first thing we see in the movie, um, he, th- you know, there's a there's of course another stock character, the kind of like uh, bank manager who is uh, is maybe sort of making a move towards the silent alarm, and Jim um, kind of you know delivers first a, a kind of a blow to him to sort of prevent him from acting up, but then just kind of goes off and just smashes his face repeatedly with the butt of his rifle to the point where blood is flying everywhere. And it's just, you know, it's, it's obviously a scene that's meant to set up that this guy is just is unhinged. Right. And he's he's murdered somebody, right? He's served uh, nine years or something for manslaughter. Right. Although we should move on to the romance now, because the central <laughs> right. spine of the story is this romance between Ben Affleck's character and uh, Rebecca Hall's character, Claire, right. who is a, a bank manager at the first bank that they rob in, in the movie. And I feel like that movie asks for such a suspension of disbelief in terms of these guys' moral valence it's that I could never come around to believing they were honorable <laughs> bank robbers. Not even Casey. Not even Casey. Not even Ben Affleck. Right. It's so. It's so. It's totally ridiculous. They. They. The movie opens with the. They hold up a bank in Harvard Square, and uh, they end up taking um, hostage the assistant manager played by Rebecca Hall. Why do they do that exactly? It's never clear why they do it. She actually does. So she like manages to to, to uh, trigger the silent alarm with her foot. And I think either Ben Affleck or Jeremy Renner noticed this. It's hard; it's impossible to tell who's who in the in the course of the bank robberies because they're always wearing uh, masks. And in that, in that instance, they were wearing kind of like ghost masks. Um, but the, she sort of she triggers the alarm, so they're kind of pissed at her. But they decide to take her hostage, but for no good reason. They just got to take her with them, drive her around Boston in a van, and then ultimately leave her in South Boston, you know, down by the World Trade Center for no apparent reason. It just doesn't make any sense other than to set up the idea that she's this kind of loose end that, you know, does she, uh, you know, did she sort of see it? Does she, would she be able to recognize our voices? Did she see anything? So Jeremy Renner wants to rub her out. I mean, he's so he's so crazy. He He's like, basically, we got to we got to tie this up. We got to we got to knock her off. But Affleck doesn't want to do that. So he volunteers to. To sort of go, ch- they have her light, her driver's license. Um, I guess they took her wallet, among other, <laughs> among the rest of the things that they stole from the bank. And uh, he 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 um, suggested he'll go track her down and make sure that she doesn't, uh, she's not acting suspicious. So he kind of follows her into a laundromat 
I don't know, like sees her, you know, she's she can't find enough quarters. She asks him if he has any quarters to spare. Somehow in that inter, in, in that exchange, Affleck develops a soft spot for this girl and asks her out for a drink as opposed to, um, you know, asking her some probing questions about what her knowledge of the events that she just suffered uh, was. And she very weirdly says, okay, she's, this is supposed to happen like three days, two days after the bank robbery. She's obviously traumatized by what happened. She's like weeping in the laundromat over her bloody shirt that she's washing. Right. And some random, you know, townie comes up to her and is like, let me buy you a drink. And really, you know, Affleck's character, Doug, does not make – he's not – He's not a prize. He's not a prize. He's, he's like wearing a, like a track suit. He's, he's uh, you know, Affleck's a handsome guy. But there's no, there's no effort made to like make him charming in that moment. Like he tries to comfort her but not in a particular – particularly suave or, or uh, tender way. And she's like, yeah, okay, I'll get a drink with you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I- And as you pointed out, I mean, her character, that doesn't make us believe anything about her character or know anything about her character, right? She's right. essentially just the girl who agreed to have a drink with Ben Affleck. The big problem, I think, that we agree with this movie is that a really important part of the movie is this romance between these two people that is just, there's, the movie makes no effort whatsoever to sell us on it, right? I mean, I just didn't buy it. right. If what you want to do this weekend is see an amazing movie about bank robbers and the city of Boston, you should see The Friends of Eddie Coyle, which the Criterion uh, folks put out, I think, about a year and a half ago on DVD. It's one of my favorite movies. It's about a it's about a band of uh, of bank robbers and about a small time small town uh, small time crook and small town crook, um, and it's set in seventies Boston. And it's I think. I'll, it's neck and neck with the verdict for being the best movie set in Boston, and it's there's, a, there's an amazing scene at the Boston old Boston Garden. It's I can't say enough about it. It's great, and I, I was so excited for the town because I thought maybe Affleck was trying to do something like that, um, and I think he was in a who way. Directed the Friends of Eddie Coyle, uh, Peter know? Yates, who uh, directed Bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's great, and it was it was very hard to find for a long time, uh, but now it's on Criterion, and it's just uh, Dana. I'm going to give you the DVD so you can watch it. Oh, it's, what a great plug! Yeah, I've never it, seen it. it's so great. I really listeners. Uh, Go see that movie. It's great. Um, anyway. Wow, this is like added value for our spoiler. <laughs> it's excellent. Yeah. All right, before we wrap, I want to talk about performances because that's really – I mean it was what drew me to this movie in the first place. It has a, a really big and pretty impressive cast. And I think it's right. worth talking about Affleck, Renner, Chris Cooper, different people who appear. Absolutely. I thought Chris Cooper was was great. I mean, he, we see him for in one scene. In one scene, he plays um, Doug uh, Doug's father, who's serving, I think, a life sentence for uh, a, a bank job that he did. I think he, I think he must have killed someone in the process, um, or maybe they just um, put him away for all these robberies. But he's pretty great, um, and uh, sort of uh, he, he's uh, he seems like he's unrepentant uh, in, in a way, and uh, he kind of. Doug goes there sort of hoping I think to learn more about what happened to his his absent mother but uh, the father refuses to kind of sugarcoat the history and I don't know he, I thought he was he was pretty awesome yeah he brought a lot to a, to a pretty minimal part in the yeah movie. maybe wish he was actually more he wasn't in Walpole or wherever he was and was actually more a character in the movie Chris Cooper is never bad I mean there's no <laughs> no movie that he's in is entirely bad because at least it has a Chris Cooper scene yeah and, and I think we both really liked Jeremy Renner Yes. Oh, yes. I want to talk about Jeremy Renner for sure, because I I actually feel coming out of this movie, although it's not like he blew me away in this movie with his performance. It just made me feel like he's a major emerging presence. Totally agree. Yeah. He he too was given, you know, less to work with than you might have um, hoped. But there's such an intensity. He really sells that 
unhinged uh, nature and um, which is not unlike the, the Hurt Locker character that he played right way right. less complex and he gets less screen time and less good lines to say but yeah. but that moment where he has this kind of Jimmy Cagney public enemy moment at the end where he spoiler goes right. down in flames he basically kind of dares the police to shoot him rather than be taken in right so wait we, one thing we haven't done is we haven't sort of the, the movie kind of falls apart at the end with this like one last heist of course this being a, a, a sort of a bank movie, bank robbery movie that is not afraid of sort of tr- uh, trotting out uh, all the old cliches. This the movie ends with kind of one last big job, and the one last big job is, <laughs> and the, as as a, somebody who grew up in Boston, I find this highly amusing. Is robbing Fenway Park. Uh, I think they, somebody even calls it the Citadel of Boston, or even the Citadel of New England. You know, of course, like I, I, I was sort of torn about that, but um, it was sort of utterly ridiculous and also kind of awesome to set a bank robbery in the bowels of uh, Fenway Park. And as far as I can tell, a lot of that. Um, um, was actually shot, you know, either on Lansdowne Street or in that in the uh, environs of Fenway, and indeed inside Fenway. So, any Red Sox fans out there, you know, will will enjoy that. Although it's it's sort of a ridiculous thing, but the movie ends with this kind of huge shootout uh, in Kenmore Square, um, and that's the, sort of the, the end of which uh, Jeremy Renner's character does kind of go down in flames, as you, as you say. But that. That whole uh, let's rob Fenway Park part was a little bit uh, ridiculous. And if we want to fully spoil things, actually, uh, Doug, Doug's character manages to escape, which is even more surprising. Right. And there's another cliche, which I mean, it, it, if, if I have, wasn't so annoyed at the movie at this point, I would have sort of almost admired it for pulling out all these cliches. But right. we actually see him having grown a beard in exile <laughs> and staring, staring mellowly out at some bayou or something that he's, he's escaped to. Right. And not only that, we sort of get the sense that uh, Claire uh, Claire eventually finds out, thanks to uh, John Hamm's FBI agent, that uh, her, her beau is actually the guy who took her hostage and, uh, you know, beat, you know uh, was responsible for beating up her boss. And she boss. underreacts so severely. Yeah, she's sort of like, oh, like that's annoying. <laughs> I mean, she does say get out of my apartment the next time she sees him, but she doesn't stick with it. Right, right. And she doesn't – she says get out of my apartment, but she's not like that adamant about it. You know, she's sort of like sitting in the bathtub. And you she know. has her cell phone. Remember, she's holding her cell phone. She says, I, I've dialed 911. Like she's just about to hit talk or whatever and, right. and, and call 911. And you're thinking, well, why it. on earth would you not do it? <laughs> right. right. This guy – yeah. Uh, like man – throws me into a van blindfolded at gunpoint, right? Makes me think I'm going to die for an entire day. Then comes back and picks me up in a laundromat and lies about it for I don't know weeks, months. Right? Pretends to be my boyfriend. I mean, Jesus Christ! You you would move. You'd be yeah. You seriously, you would definitely move. You at least move to Somerville, if not to uh, Peoria. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, it just made it made no sense. She obviously, you know, the idea is that she's fallen in love with him, and then there's so at the very end of the movie, after the whole Fenway thing kind of goes sour, goes sour. Um, Affleck returns to Charlestown despite the fact that he must know it's crawling with cops and and goes to uh, some some place where he can sort of see into Rebecca Hall's window um, and calls her and sort of asks like says he wants to come over and visit and just talk to her and she sort of she's of course you know surrounded by um, a huge bevy of uh, FBI agents and uh, she says yeah you should come over but then she at the last second she kind of gives him a hint that, in fact, he shouldn't come over because the place is crawling with the fuzz. But it's, like, so weird because, of course, Affleck knows that this woman who the FBI now knows is his girlfriend is going to have at least one FBI person there, if not 10 or 12, which is actually the case. I guess charitably we could say that he's calling her to find out, like, whether or not she still loves him because he wants to know whether she'll give him that sign 
that the that the cops are there don't come. Yeah, it's a symbolic call about their relationship. He's obviously not going to go into the apartment because he can see, which is another plausibility <laughs> hole that the FBI agents. It wouldn't have occurred to them to not stand in the bay window <laughs> right. while she's having a cell phone conversation with the guy who lives in the neighborhood. Yeah, totally ridiculous. So anyway, Affleck makes off with like a bunch of cash from the from from Fenway, and he buries it in a local community garden that Claire no, is known to tend. Right, because and, oh, because we've been seeing throughout the whole movie that she's this like kind of community angel, right? right. She volunteers at the community center, or she gardens, right? So this is one of my favorite pieces of ridiculousness that I think kind of gets at some of the real silliness of the movie. So Affleck decides to, with his score, which looked to be maybe several thousand, several hundred thousands of dollars, I don't know, at least tens of thousands of dollars, he, which is in a hockey bag, he buries it in the community garden in a place where he knows that Claire will be digging soon, I guess. And in the bag of cash, he puts an orange – to signify that he went to Florida, right? He's he's you know going to uh, wait for the for the heat to die down in the Everglades, <laughs> grow a beard. No one will ever know it's him. And uh, the idea. So then we see the scene at the very end of the movie where Claire is troweling in the community garden. Just so happens, it's a pretty big community garden. Just so happens, she trowels in just the right place, finds the hockey bag full of cash. Now, meanwhile, this has happened, we know, relatively quickly because the orange is still in the bag <laughs> and looks ripe enough to eat. Like, it looks like, peel that sucker. Like It it's looks nice and fresh. It looked great. Um, so somehow she knew to do... <laughs> she, I love that the orange really bothered you. And the whole really, subway the ride home, you're saying, why is the orange still fresh? The orange, what are the chances? It doesn't make any sense. There's no there's no effort made to look like it. The, the, there was like, here you know, here lies the cash. Why would she be digging there? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't the orange have been... Compl- if it had been completely desiccated, that would have been kind of interesting. And then I provided an alternate ending, like, the last shot of the movie is old woman digs up moldy orange. <laughs> that, would, that would have been awesome. So then, the, but then the, the coup de gras is okay. She somehow manages to dig up the cash in under a week, <laughs> and um, we don't know what she does with the orange. I think she should have eaten it. It looked it looked fantastic. But with the cash, we've it's been set up that there's a a sort of rundown community hockey rink in Charlestown, and we we've seen it in his rundown state and the last if I'm not mistaken the last shot of the entire movie is Claire kind of sitting in the stands beaming as a bunch of Charlestown youths are practicing hockey in a completely refurbished community hockey rink which clearly would have taken probably tens of thousands of dollars to get from where it was to where it is. <laughs> and we're given no indication of how exactly this middle manager at some you know Harvard uh, Square bank would know how to take tens of thousands of dollars and launder it in such a fashion that she could donate it to the Boys and Girls Club of Charlestown. It doesn't make any sense. Or like the FBI wouldn't notice. Like, remember that that victim who protected that <laughs> that criminal? Why did she just renovate an entire hockey <laughs> yeah, rink? Yeah, exactly. John Hamm's character knows at the end that she's that she's in cahoots to some degree with Doug. He did not enough that he can prosecute her, but he knows. So you don't think anyone's going to pay attention to her when her bank account all of a sudden balloons by, you know, 7,000% and when she makes an incredibly munificent donation to the local hockey organization? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> See, this movie is made for spoiling. Actually, yeah. even more than spoiling, I love plot hole exploration. Yeah, it's it, awesome. It's totally great. I mean, look, the, those things bothered me when I sort of sat down and thought about them with you on the subway ride home. But in the context of the movie, it, this movie was more or less enjoyable to watch. Um, particularly that just if all adds to this this fabric of implausibility. It's not that you're thinking about those things during the movie. It's just that it, it keeps you from really caring about and entering that world. Exactly. But then when I sort of when I really think about. Um, Ben Affleck, when I kind of get uh, angry at him, I, what I, I try to sort of sit, step back and put my, myself in, uh, in Ben Affleck's shoes. Now, I grew up in the Boston area like he did, and uh, if I, in the, in the beginning of my uh, professional career, had written or co-written um, Goodwill Hunting and had all of a sudden been rocketed to, uh, to fame and, and renown, 
I think I might have done exactly the same thing that Ben Affleck has done. I think I would have tried to date J-Lo. And then I probably would have taken a role in Jiggly, not realizing that uh, it was as bad as it, as it was. And then I definitely would make a bank heist movie where I got to rob Fenway Park. Like, <laughs> what Boston area resident would, you know, if given those opportunities, would not take them? So I really can't, I can't get mad at Affleck. I think he's made completely logical decisions. I just wish that, uh, and, and I do think that he's he's become becoming a more serious um, actor and director with these movies, even though they you know they haven't quite lived up to my hopes and dreams. So um, I, I love that you would have taken the low road, the J Low road. <laughs> totally. Come on. But would you be, would you now be married to Jennifer Garner? With no, two no, I, he, we, we part we part ways there. I think it's <laughs> totally defensible, but she doesn't she doesn't do anything for me. But robbing Fenway Park, come on, that's like every Bostonian's you know dream. <laughs> All right, John. Well, thank you so much for seeing this movie with me and coming in to spoil it. Uh, my pleasure. Our producer is Tage Jensen. Our executive producer for Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.